Welcome to the Divine Feminine Revolution Podcast, where women are magical and empowered. I'm your host, Dr. Megan Monday, psychologist turned transformational feminine business coach. This podcast is for you if you want to prioritize your own pleasure, face your fears, and manifest your desires. This podcast is sponsored by the Fearless Feminine Academy, where I teach women how to turn their trauma into their superpowers. My goal is to show women that we can heal our world by creating time and financial freedom by doing whatever the fuck we want. Are you ready for the divine feminine revolution? Let's get vulnerable and go deep. I'm so honored that you're here. Okay, hello everyone. I am so excited to continue the Fearless Feminine podcast and introduce you to Amanda Brown. She has uh, an amazing history um, and story. I'll let her kind of go into her brag intro, um, but like me, we sort of have, share a mental health background, and so I always love to see all the social justice, mental health warriors coming through to help change society, so I'm sure we'll get into that a little bit later, um, but yeah, just tell us a little bit about yourself and brag on it. Awesome. Hi, everyone. It's so great to be with you, Megan. Thank you for having me. Um, So I'm Amanda J.P. Brown. I'm an author and a transformational coach. I work with women who want to feel more confident in their skin, which doesn't necessarily mean their body. Um, I have a background, like you said, in mental health, specializing in trauma, early childhood trauma, and working with families. I have done so many different things in the world. Um, I've gone through my own struggles, my own trauma experiences, my own struggles with like substance abuse, and, and really working to overcome those. Um, I have an adopted son. I live in Cape Creek, Arizona, on a kind of a ranch part of the, in Arizona. It's really hot here. Um, I'm really excited to be doing the work that I'm doing and being able to show up and hold space because one of the things that's so important to me is making sure that we have that safe space to do the work. So I really pride myself on, and I feel like I'm really good. One of my big brags, which I don't know why I'm saying this because nobody will want to work with me after this, but that's not true, um, is creating such a safe space that women um, feel comfortable to cry. I've actually been amazed at how many times we start diving into the work and right away they feel so safe. They can talk about their shame stories, which is a lot of what I work on now with women and um, releasing that shame that they've been holding on to. And it's just so powerful and such a um, an honor, like I'm so honored that they would trust me enough to hold this space. So that's actually a really big brag that I like to talk about, but people are like, cry, I don't wanna cry. <laughs> so yeah. Um, well, in the therapy world, you know, we kind of talk about like, you have to feel to heal. And that's kind of my beef with some of the mental health meds is like, I feel like sometimes it disconnects people from their tears and it's just kind of hard to do the work there. Um, And I love what you said about safety is so huge. It makes me think back to when I was doing my PhD internship, I had a supervisor and he pretty much would just look at my wastebasket and see how many tissues I had. And he'd be like, Oh, Megan, you're doing some really good work. And the truth of it was, I just had this one girl that would like profusely cry the entire session and like she would go through like a box of 
tissues. <laughs> and I got props from my, um, yeah. from my supervisor and I never pull for tears, but I just feel like tears are so healing and transformative and I just love it so much. So I know we're going to have an amazing discussion yeah. about shame. Brene Brown kind of made it famous, but there's so much work to do in this field. Oh, absolutely. I think, and you know, that's one of the things I say, how you said, you know, feel to heal is that you really have to feel your way through this work and you can't go around it, jump over it, crawl under it. Like you have to feel through this work in order to really get to that place that you want to be. So yeah. And shame. Oh yeah. Such a heavy thing, but it's such a um, powerful thing to be working through. And yeah, I love Brene Brown. She's amazing. Yeah. And shame, you know, the hardwired responses to hide. And so like a lot of times we hide our story and even if we're open and vulnerable, you know, we have judgments like, you know, oh, maybe I shouldn't be telling this. It's TMI or people are going to judge it. Um, and I love that you led with your story. So like, tell us a little bit about, um, kind of your journey to releasing shame and, you know, finding empowerment. Yeah. So really long period of time <laughs> because so when I was a teenager, my parents split up and I, there was a lot of um, connection to my dad and I felt a big, huge parental abandonment um, and like rejection. So I kind of spiraled out of control in the sense of looking for somebody to love me and fill that place. So I found myself in all the wrong spaces with all the wrong people and ended up in drugs and kind of spinning, dropping out of high school, spinning out of control in that arena for a couple of years. And then one day I was like, I don't want to live like this anymore. There's got to be more to life. There was that little bit of hope in that space. Hold on my dogs. Yeah. <laughs> They're like kids. They like to steal the show. We were just talking about that as well. <laughs> They're little puppies too. I might have to put them out if they keep going. So I really was like, I don't want to live like this anymore. I'd all my relationships were really strained. Um, I was kind of, I don't even know where I was living, but I just knew that there had to be something different. And so, um, at the time, right about the time or right after the time I'd had this epiphany, I met somebody who, um, helped me kind of get back on my feet in the sense of like, it was like that instant soul connection with somebody and, and he was amazing and a really great guy obviously there were problems because I wasn't doing any of the work, but what was really significant is that in the process, my mom, because I didn't have a really good relationship with my mom before I started using drugs because of the connection with how, how ingrained and almost enmeshed that I was with my dad. So I really kind of did not have a good relationship with her. And even though she tried, I was like, get away from me. You don't understand me. You don't know me. And I really was just struggling, but she was there and she had found the school. And what I did was I never went to therapy. I just kind of quit on my own and um, didn't do any, any work except hop back into school. And so I went to school it was a charter school that was at a community college. So I was able to take college credits and I really found myself like interested in psychology and really kind of diving into a little bit of that work. So it was a safe structured environment where I could have that container to just learn and kind of refocus myself. So that's where I spent a lot of years. I ended up there in high school that I got a scholarship to community college to college and then 
into two different master's degrees, but I still never did the work. That relationship ended and I ended up in this other relationship along the way. And um, I was really angry and bitter about the first relationship ending. And because I thought I was going to spend my life with this man, I thought that we were going to travel the world together and um, just live this amazing life. And it did not work out that way. And um, I wanted nothing to do with him. Very similar to the thing with my dad, rejecting everything, but still looking for somebody else. And really I was looking for somebody else to save me and tell me I was okay. Well, I've learned that doesn't really happen that way. The more that we look to other people, the more that we give away our power. So that relationship was very toxic, very emotionally abusive, leading into that physical abusiveness. And I found myself compromising my values, um, like not even like knowing who I was, giving away pieces of myself, only taking on what he liked, um, what he, because I was so insecure and I felt so much shame because I never talked about my substance abuse. And when I did, I was really scared and judged and sometimes by other people too. So I learned not to talk about it because you would be judged by that. And that was one of the stories that I kind of was like, okay, be silent. Don't talk about this. But I wasn't talking about powerful pieces of myself. So I felt this like push pull thing in the relationship. And then one day I found myself kind of in the same situation going, I don't want to live like this anymore. One of the most powerful places I've found is like, what the fuck is happening to my life? I don't want to live like this anymore. And even though it's like complete chaos and, and destruction and implosion sometimes, it's also like the most amazing space of creation and like discovery and possibility. I learned in that I had um, went to a work party shortly after we split up. And it was for me because I'd been at this attorney's office for five years and it was the all American girl, red, white, and blue apple pie and ice cream. I'm like, who is this party for? Because it is not me. I'm not that wholesome girl. I've had all this like stuff. Nobody knows me. And it was that moment that I realized nobody knew me because I wasn't showing up in my power. I wasn't showing up as who I was. So I vowed never to do that again, but I still didn't do any work. <laughs> and so even though I was more aware to some degree, I ended up in another relationship and, and not as much giving away, but still there were those compromises, those, oh, you like that. I like that too. Even if I like all these other things, I've discovered that I really take, I get enjoyment and joy from doing things other people enjoy in relationships, but that doesn't mean that I love them as much as that person does. I just love being with them when they're happy. Um, but in that process, in this relationship, which is the relationship I'm in now, um, six years after <laughs> we actually wasn't six it was like four or five years later i was like i want to do a bikini competition i want to get healthier i want to get better i want to feel powerful in my body i want to love myself um and i ended up finding this coach who was like a mind body fitness coach and did like also this piece of business and i'm like yeah yeah i don't care about the business but i'm totally into the fitness part. And of course I'm into mindset because at that time I was already a therapist. Um, 
So I was like, okay, cool. And I had no idea where this journey would take me, but that really was the start of a lot of my, um, like getting back into that physical piece actually opened up the mindset piece because it allowed me to, um, work through some of what I was feeling like part of my journey that I totally skipped over, but I think it's really important is when I left the, um, the boyfriend, the first one, um, and was kind of bitter about that, I ended up finding martial arts. And so I started studying martial arts and it was so powerful for me to be able to physically release some of what I was going through. And I think that's what a lot of like, like being able to cry is like this physical release, this release of holding on to things so tightly and clenched that it's just like, oh, we can't do it anymore. So that is what like boxing and martial arts was for me. But that was also what I reconnected with when I started doing weight training. And then the journey just kind of kept going. I kept digging in. I kept doing some work, little bits here and there, finding books and mentors and coaches and going to retreats. And then voila, I'm here. That's amazing. And there's so many bits of your story that I want to um, touch on. You know, one piece is I think with substance use, a lot of times I've been through this journey myself, like, um, you know, highly sensitive people, empaths, um, if you had some of that like enmeshment codependency like early on, like I think those are all setups to um, experiment with drugs. And a lot of people don't get out of the experimentation phase. They get like stuck in it. And I've definitely lost some friends to drug addiction. And it's like so tragic. Um, talk about like a rescuer at heart who can't rescue someone. It's just like the worst feeling ever. Um, but you know, that's the hard thing about substance abuse when people get really deep into it. Like it kind of does have to be their decision to stop it. But I do think that like empaths, um, are feeling so much that it's kind of like a natural self-medication thing. And I think there's so much like, um, shaming that goes on around substance abuse and, I think it's kind of interesting for me to see with mental health, like actually like hallucinogens and um, ecstasy and some other like recreational drugs, ketamine are like becoming the big treatments for trauma. And so I've had a a handful of clients do those um, treatments. Um, I've done some of those things recreationally back when I was a teenager. Um, And it's like, we're all searching for something. And I was actually at like a brain science symposium and they were talking about how like, use the metaphor that um, like our current mental health meds, um, especially like the antipsychotics and mood mm-hmm. stabilizers and some of those like more intense ones are um, like uh, basically like painkillers, yep. but things like they're finding with some of these like more psychedelically, yep. you know, oriented ones are more yep. like, like antibiotics. I know some people feel yeah. bad about antibiotics, but they actually create like permanent yep. change was the idea. Yep. Yeah, that's, I just was actually one of the classes I'm with, like, trainings I'm doing, if, but by Bessel van der Kolk is, yeah. um, the body remembers, is he talks about that and, like, MDA, MDMA and the research that they're doing on vets, and I was, like, fascinating, and he talked about, it's, like, opens up this whole, and it's really kind of more of the plant medicine type stuff, but then using the psychedelics, um, and really like the long lasting changes, that's what he was talking about, that it's having on the brain that like Prozac and those can help as a Band-Aid, but they don't have any long term and actually after an extended use can can create more issues because you're still struggling with what you were struggling with. Yeah, it's really interesting because it kind of opens your mind about 
what we should actually be doing for ourselves and where we should let go of some of that social judgment of what that means. So, you know, another big passion of mine is like, I've done, I've worked the retreat circuit like you as well. And I'm lucky to have, um, our local healing center, Gypsy Hands, and they have a lot of indigenous healers, like some Mm -hmm. of the healers in New Zealand. And so like, I've not professionally done this, but personally done a lot of like body work and their, um, sort of view of it is, is that like the trauma gets locked in the body and like Bessel yep, would agree with that, but I don't think it's quite mainstream psychology. And so when people say like, Oh, therapy didn't work for me. One, I mean, maybe they didn't have the best therapist and two, like, um, it's, it can be so heady. And I think with trauma, like you can understand something, but something can be locked in your emotions and in your body. And I think that's yeah. where people like lean on substance use or. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. Cause it does get like, a lot, and some people have trauma before language, oh, and yeah. so like, Talk about that. that is like a whole different thing. Like you can't even describe what you're going through, and and really in traumatic experiences, you move out of your thinking brain into a very primitive part of your brain that doesn't have language and it doesn't have those things. So absolutely, you can't really access language or thinking in that moment, and you really need somebody to help you through that experience and it is a really experiential thing absolutely would agree with you on that a hundred percent because we can't talk our way through it in fact sometimes we're actually re-traumatizing people when when we use talk therapy Mm -hmm. to work through trauma because they're re-experiencing it every time and they're getting caught in like that loop that trauma loop where where is that body work and those things and i've i've funny that you've done indigenous healing work so have I with healers and um, I was just at one last night I'm super excited about the possibility of doing some more stuff with him so um it's it's just so powerful how sometimes we can't talk our way through things and we really need to access other parts of our our um, body and our our brain and things that don't have language accessibility yeah, I've been an EMDR therapist, which is like just really fabulous for treating trauma. And I feel like the reason why it works is because it is brain-based, but I feel like it really does clear like the emotions and the body in a way that traditional talk therapy doesn't do because I think it like, in my mind, it balances the hemispheres and it, it depending if you're more right brain or left brain dominant, like it, it balances whichever one. It either helps you put the logical story around it or it helps you like get in touch with the emotions to like kind of clear it. And so I feel like that in itself is an energy work. And that's why I love it so much, even though it is mainstream psychology, like I do feel like it has a little bit of magic to it. And that's why I love using it. And it, I've helped so many people clear like abuse and trauma and some really like horrific things um, using it. I, I've actually been like cheating and doing a little like mindset work with it, like on the slow speed to like really like anchor into these beliefs and clear some of my like rejection, abandonment, trauma. Um, so if anyone's listening and you have trauma and you do, you know, want to go to a therapist, like I would definitely highly recommend an EMDR therapist or like, it sounds like you've done somatics. I think somatic yeah. therapy is really huge. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I completely agree because sometimes, and, and finding the right therapist, I think you hit on something so, so important. Not all therapists are good therapists. I'm not saying that they're horrible, but they're not all working in their, 
their most powerful place. Mm -hmm. And so if you have a bad experience one th with one therapist, that doesn't mean the next therapist is going to be that way too. And so I really had to work through that as well. I had my own not so great therapy experience and I was really resistant to therapy for a very long time because I was a therapist and I'm like, I don't want to go to a bad therapist. Um, and so I, I really feel like, yeah, absolutely. The EMDR, somatic work, that's all really powerful. And just finding somebody who's the right fit for you that you really feel that you can feel safe with. Cause if you don't feel safe, it's really, really um, sometimes challenging. Although Bessel was talking about it. He's like, yeah, this guy was so upset with me. And I, he's like, I don't know, but he, whatever he did in the work that he was doing. And I think he was doing EMDR. He's like, it still made a difference. It's, and this story that he didn't need to hear this guy's story for the work to work. And I think that's really important. So yeah. yeah and that is kind of amazing with it. Like you can just call up the memory, which is really good if there's like shame pieces where people just really don't feel like they can talk about it um, yeah. in the moment. Tell us about safety, because I think that is like one of the most important constructs and I remember a therapist friend of mine Tamara she would always say like I'm feeling unsafe and I'm like well I've not heard that like as an adjective um and then like creating safety I feel it's kind of like self-care like at least in the programs I was in they like laid it on thick about self-care but they never actually talked about like what it is or how to do it and how to make it a priority it was just like a should like oh yeah you should do self-care like you should feel safe and so I think it's kind of like the water for the fish kind of thing it's like the container we're in and so sometimes it's kind of invisible yeah it is invisible because um it's it's like so i have a story more than an mm -hmm. actual definition because Perfect. i think this really um shows showcases this is like so when i got into the relationship i'm in now i was in there for six years and actually then we got married so um seven years into this relationship and i was still just unpacking the work and really just rediscovering and reconnecting and reclaiming all of the pieces of myself I'd like disowned and rejected out of my own shame and, and the view, the, the thought that, well, if I'm this, then this person won't love me, like all of those beliefs that we have, um, and my fear of rejection and trying to like show up as, you know, who they want me to be versus who I am. So I finally was in this place that I was discovering, reconnecting and, and, and re-piecing kind of coming back into wholeness and um we we were having me and my husband were having a lot of like struggle and tension I mean we still go through stuff sometimes now because I am a different person than I was 13 and a half years ago when we met and um so it's kind of like this judge like this whole like re um adjustment period so which is ongoing <laughs> so it doesn't go away necessarily um but I realized that I had to have a conversation with him about who I was and that I bet. So I basically started the conversation of, I bet you think I lied to you about who I was. Mm -hmm. And he was like, yeah, they do. Cause you're not that girl that I met seven years ago who loved going to car shows and loved doing all the things that I love doing. And I'm like, Dad, like, this is where, like, the vulnerability, the courage, the bravery, all of that stuff you have to tap in. Um, and I was like, it's not that I lied to you. It's that I'm finally feeling safe enough to tell you. 
and to share with you. And I think that this is, it's really hard to say it'll happen at this time because everybody's journey is a little bit different in our personal experience. So for me, it was like being able to show up with other people who were accepting me as I was without any um, like idea of what I should be. And it was me also allowing myself to take off the masks, to shed the shame, like the shoulds, the conditions, and really kind of going, this is who I am and, and me getting comfortable. So part of the safety is kind of finding somebody to hold that space for you that you trust enough to do the work. And then you trusting yourself enough to, to get comfortable with it yourself. So then you can take it into the next kind of uncomfortable space. So it's this like an evolving process, but really for me creating safety for my clients is really about being okay with them sharing anything they want to. And the, and I, I say, okay, it's like how I've become that is really kind of doing my own work and becoming okay with my own story. And I think part of one of the lessons that I've learned for the going through the experience of substance abuse and shame is that it made me more compassionate to people who make decisions about their life that quote unquote may not have been the best or may have been bad, like what those, those judgments and that really being able to, to understand that how people can go through and decide what they decide and it doesn't make them wrong or bad it makes them trying to um heal and trying to numb some pain or trying to like do the best they can so really i i just go okay you can show up as you are and show up in this space to be who you are in a completely vulnerable and authentic way and so when i can get into that space that you can tell me whatever you need to tell me and i have been with some people have told me some really like amazing things that they've been holding on to so tightly it's such an honor to witness them but really in that you can show up as you are and i can witness you without any like any judgment about that and and that means i have had to do a lot of my own like work as well or even awareness around what judgments I may have, because even though as a therapist, I wasn't necessarily doing my personal work, I was really aware of the judgments that I had about other people and really kind of tried to unpack that and, and go, is that really what that means? Or is that just like this perception that I've been taught and now how do I un unravel that so I can show up um, for this person really powerfully so they can show up for themselves? There's kind of a joke like in the psychology world that like research is me search, which I think is kind of fun. And when we were talking about like good and bad, like I feel like there's, uh, I mean, obviously those are judgments, you know, even if we tend to like the good judgments over the bad ones. Um, but, you know, I do think like when you're selecting like a healer, a coach, a therapist, whatever, you know, you really can only take people as far as you've gone yourself. And so like, so nice to see like a mirror of like, I I'm so excited to see like that kind of like indigenous or shamanic work or energy work, or whatever you want to call it, filter into psychology. And I've seen like Reiki sort of come into like, the hospital settings, mindfulness obviously is a big thing. And so I'm like really excited for it to get like full force. Um, yeah. 
I feel like in general, like one of the biggest things I work with with people is like developing their intuition, developing their self-trust. Cause if you don't have self-trust, you know, you don't have anything. And so I think when you're creating safety, I see a lot of people who come into my office and they're like, Megan, my life is like the best it's ever been. Happily married. I've got a good job. I've got kids, whatever. And all of this old stuff is coming up. And it's like, you finally created the safety of the container to be able yeah. to do the work. And so it's like kind of about timing because you're like, I'm happy for the first time ever, but I'm not happy. <laughs> so. yeah, you're so right. I mean, that's like a beautiful thing because you you need that container for yourself. And I, I self-trust is like so, so important. Um, there were so many times that I didn't trust myself. I would ask other people, well, what do you think? And what do you think I should do? And, and are you sure I should do that? And what about this? And how about that? And like, literally my mom was probably sick of talking to me for hours at a time when I would like, just be like, I don't know this and that. And she's like, you're going to make the right decision. I'm like, no, I'm not. I mean, I even got into a relationship because once I left my ex-husband, I ended up in another relationship because everybody else liked him, but I didn't really like him. And he was a good person. And obviously, but I was like, oh, everybody else says he's nice. And I've made so many bad judgments. I, I obviously don't know how to pick good guys. I was like, every time it was like, so, and, and really like learning that self-trust and that intuition is so powerful because it will help steer us if we allow ourselves to be guided and it'll really help support us and not drive us down the wrong path because I think that's what the fear is, right? The fear is that, you know, for me, I, I can't pick the guy that I like because I'll obviously end up down this path. So I'm going to try this guy who everybody else says is a really nice guy, but I literally can't stand to be around. Yeah. And I think that's like the legacy of like gaslighting. If you've had like emotional abuse or just like even invalidation can be really sneaky. And I think it's just so like transparent in our culture. It's like, no, you don't get to feel that way. Well, it's your feeling. You can feel whatever you want. Absolutely. Right? I, I have to work. I'm like, I constantly working on that with my son. Cause I'm aware of it. And I'm like, Oh yeah, you can be mad at me if you want to. Like, I literally have to like restate it because even though I'm frustrated in the moment, like I want to validate his experience as well. And it's like, it's okay to be angry about things in our lives. Like it's a natural emotion. And I think, you know, I talk a lot with my clients who, you know, in the work that I've done as a therapist, the sometimes we don't know how to be with emotions because our parents didn't know. And it's not to blame anyone, but their parents might have not have known. And so there's this generational thing that comes through of we learned to parent by our parents and without being actually taught how to parent. And so we come up with all this stuff and we might not know how to be with certain emotions or, you know, they, because of how they were. And it's, it's just becoming aware of that and then really kind of rediscovering what do we want to be with and how do we want to learn how to be with this? Yeah. I love that you brought up kids. Cause I really believe that, you know, kind of starting with our generation, like, I feel like we sort of had these like you know, psychic, sometimes they call them like indigo kids come through that we're like going to be the change makers. And then I feel like this younger generation is like that times, you know, a million and they have like these superhuman gifts and they've got such deep feelings. And I can see even like kids that are like maybe high school or college age now, I feel like sometimes they are feeling so much that we judge them because they're not functioning, but literally they've just sponged up so much emotion that yep. other people have disowned that they literally like are not able to function. And so, you know, I remember just, you know, like a little classic example is like, you know, when they like, 
fall down and hurt themselves. And then they look to you to see if they're okay. And most people are like, you're okay. And I remember this one time my daughter was like, no, I'm not okay. Like it hurts. And um, so she'll, I, I've kind of taught her to say like, I have big feelings. <laughs> and, yeah, just it. Good. and then it cues me to go like, if I'm like, you know, suck it up essentially, like, you know, or yeah. like, you're okay. You're fine. Like, let's move on. You know? And she says, I have big feelings. I'm like, oh, okay. She's still processing, like slow down. <laughs> Yeah. I love that you do that because one of the things that just came to mind to me is when I was learning therapy and stuff like that, how powerful our parents' reactions are to us and whether it even, like we could not be feeling scared. And if our parents are like, then we get scared because, and part of that is like the attachment relationship. We are wired to survive with um our attachment person so if our attachment person um is like fearful about something we're doing we learn to be scared of doing that and so if our our parents weren't able to regulate their own emotion when we were doing something like there's that whole you call it the circle of security that exploration and that coming back in if they weren't okay with us exploring um, then that we might not want to go out and do those things. And if they had a problem with us when we got scared, needing to come back in and get reassurance, then we might not be okay getting comfort from other people. So there's this, sometimes what I, I kind of say is our parents never meant to teach us the things that they sometimes did. It's really just like, they might not have known. So the fact that you're really aware and then you can kind of like, okay, like work with this with her is so powerful because I try to do the same thing with my son and it really does require me to like really be present and aware of what I'm doing and it's it's really hard sometimes because sometimes I'm like I just want to be like stop doing that and do what I say because I said so and I'm like oh yeah that's not cool I know. Talk about like some hypervigilance to be a therapist all these years and then to actually become a parent. It's like oh yeah. <laughs> everything you know is out the window sometimes oh like we're all victims of victims or like you know hurt people hurt people like very true and like parenting is like a 24-hour job so I definitely you know feel for parents and you know I think that like it's inevitable you're gonna make mistakes and so the crucial part between like toxic versus like healthy is just saying like mommy just had a meltdown like let's talk about it what was it like for you were you scared like what can you do to calm down like and so we have like a therapy debriefing session after incidents because incidents are gonna happen right I just want to normalize that for people yeah absolutely and I think that that's so important I do the same thing like okay you come back later and that that repair in the sense of debriefing repair kind of acknowledge because that's something also your kids learn too, right? How to do that for in their own relationships. But it is sometimes we are triggered by our children and we are like, oh, you know, so there's this whole thing that we go through that if we weren't parents, we wouldn't understand because we didn't have, we're not having that type of relationship. But absolutely, I think that repair piece is important and being able to regulate ourselves and helping our kids regulate and learning how to do this. Um, because they're going to be taking this to their relationships. And and I tell my son all the time, and I've told my husband, I'm like, I don't know if we're making the right decision. Like, I won't know for like 20 more years, because some of what um, the decisions that I'm making, I'm, I think I'm doing the best that I can 
but I don't know if it's the right decision because I'm just going to have to trust that it is. And then we're going to just have to see what happens. So some of that is just that self-trust again, like trusting you're making the right decision in the moment and it's going to be okay. And it, and you can change your mind. That's what's great. We can make a new decision tomorrow. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. I was talking to a healer friend of mine and she was pointing out that, um, sometimes like in spiritual communities, we'll say like, as a soul, you choose your parents. And she was kind of saying that like, more like you choose like the ancestral line that you're coming from and that particular energy, not necessarily like the events or like the damage maybe that's going to be done. And then some of us are ambitious in our choices and then we get born into a situation. And, you know, having been done trauma work for so long, I do see this real phenomenon of I don't know if the trauma like created the healer or if like a healer just got dropped in the middle of like a big traumatic situation. But we know that like trauma like rewires the brain to be more psychic, more intuitive, more healer. And I think Mm -hmm. talking about like kind of losing yourself, I've struggled with this and I've seen lots of clients do it too, like into codependency. And it's like a little more than codependency. It's just that like you're so like empathic or intuitive that like everybody else's needs are so... (laughs) clear distracting you away from your own needs yeah yeah that's been one of my struggles sometimes is like just really kind of seeing all the things from other people and then really kind of having to work on going what do I need what do I need in this moment? what do I need to even do that introspection piece is huge or to say is this what I need right now it's funny because sometimes we think we know, but we don't want to check in. And then, but, but even moving out of our head and into our, I do this a lot with my clients of helping them move from the head into the heart. And then like asking the heart, what do you, what do you need right now? And it's amazing that we, we really know we're just not trusting it or um, not wanting to look at it. But that is actually too been one of the things that I've struggled with is worried about everybody else's needs, making sure they feel good, making sure this, and really not staying in my power or staying in what I need. Because in the work um, with kids, we talk about it as you have to give from the overflow, like it's the empty cup syndrome. If you keep pouring from your cup, and you're not filling your cup up first, meaning yourself with self-care or nourishment or whatever it is, you're going to eventually have an empty cup that you're trying to give from, and you're not going to be able to be as available to people because you're literally starving for yourself and you're struggling. And I feel like sometimes my cup has even been cracked when I just keep giving, 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 and then there's the burnout and the frustration and the emotional breakdowns that we have because we haven't given you know taken and we haven't taken the time and sometimes we don't know how to do that and and it's okay to not know and just and and to sit and go I don't I don't even know what I need but I know I need something different that's kind of what happened to me in my private practice, having done so much trauma work and then just the hustle of a brick and mortar business. I really started to burn out from like empathic overload or compassion fatigue. That's yeah. really, I've been doing healing work all along the way. I couldn't have made it this long without the healing work. Um, but then I really got into coaching and particularly what I really liked was pleasure-based coaching or, or, or pleasure-based business or even pussy-based yeah. business. And I think it's about like where we might say like, listen to our heart. You know, we can also say like, listen to her because she knows she's the creator. Yeah 
this kind of moment. But I feel like pleasure is such, you know, we talk about self-care, self-soothe and psychology, but I feel like pleasure is even like a little bit more and it's not just sexual pleasure. It's just like joy, happiness, fulfillment, satisfaction. Um, And I feel like it's the missing ingredient. And if you've had trauma, I feel like that it's so easy to just like kind of jump out of your body, especially if we're using like substances to do so either prescription or, you know, non-prescription. Uh, I feel like pleasure is something really simple. Like it could be just like stroking your hair or like taking a deep breath or taking a bath or whatever it is. And I feel like it's so powerful. So I just wanted to kind of like bounce that to you around like, you know, people want to get rid of fear and, you know, my brand is like the fearless feminine. It's, fear is not going away. Right. It's just like, how can you dance with it? Or like, pleasure yourself through it. Mm-hmm. So what do you have to say about that? What's your vision for the future? Okay, perfect. Um, so I love that you said dance with it because I think that is one of the ways we experience so much joy is through complete release. And I, I completely agree with you. There's not enough sometimes pleasure in our own lives. And there's a lot of judgment around feeling pleasure. And and to feel, I mean, think about, like, oh, you know, don't brag about that because, you know, it's not nice. Like we've had all these stories that we have been told and trained. So really kind of this feeling amazing in our body and in our lives, it's kind of been downplayed, especially as women. I mean, that's a whole nother part of the conversation. So the pleasure is like so important. And I think that one of the things that sometimes I've even struggled with is allowing pleasure to come into my life and really just going, okay, this is pleasurable. And, and you're giving myself permission to feel this way. It's really about that permission. I mean, I can't give it to anyone else, but I can give it to myself. We're not you know, and, and so it's, it's really being able, it's kind of like that vulnerable piece of like, it's okay to be pleasured. It's okay to feel pleasure. It's okay to dance in the rain naked if that's what you want to do. Like, and it feels good. Like, who's to say it, we're not allowed to do this? And, and if they do, what, who, why do they get that power? When we do that, we're giving them our power. Um, so absolutely, I completely agree in finding our pleasure. I think with empaths, you know, like sometimes we're like trying to fix the environment so that we'll be okay. That's way overcomplicating it. Like literally we can just say, I'm going to prioritize my own pleasure. And like, you know, I was just thinking like, okay, I'm sitting like this and it's kind of uncomfortable. Like, what can I do? Just feel better. Even 5%, even 1%, even, you know, like a little bit better in the moment. Yeah, absolutely. As empaths, there's so much we're absorbing so much from the environment that sometimes we have to remember we can radiate out into the environment. So it's as much as we take on, we can shift out. It's just learning to how to be with ourselves to kind of work and then create that for ourselves in some I'm so glad you mentioned that because I actually had a friend who was in massage school and she talked about that they talked about like pushing versus pulling. And so like, I think a lot of us who are in feminine energy, I know I'm, I'm like a a puller, you know, like I receive what on a lot of different levels, like what's happening with the person. And that's why I can like hold such great space, but like maybe with the, and I think women, we get messages around like being pushy. But what they really need is like for us to like push out this beautiful, positive healing energy. Right. Yeah. I I definitely feel that. And really kind of like, if we think of the feminine as the ocean, who's coming in and out, sometimes we're coming in and leaning in, but there are other times that we're pulling out and giving space to the other person to be 
but that doesn't mean we're taking that on. So there's that, you know, that learning that our sacred boundaries of where we begin and where others end is really, really important of being able to hold our own space too and, and be able to feel without shutting down because I think that that's really important too. I love that so much. And I love the ocean. So that's like a beautiful metaphor. I really like, I felt that deeply. So I love your energy. Like I'm so excited for therapists to infiltrate the coaching world and I'm excited to merge it with healing and the demonic work. I mean, this I think is like the revolutionary moment where I think we're finally honoring that just because we can't see it doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. And I think that's the magic, of like the feminine energy coming forward. So tell us like, how do we find you? What are your offers? How do we work with you? You can find me. Um, I'm on Facebook, Amanda JP Brown. I thought it's probably where my, my big medium is also on Instagram. Also Amanda JP Brown website, amandajpbrown.com. I am actually just getting ready to launch out a five day, the brave unbecoming challenge. Mm -hmm. And so it's all about releasing and shedding off all the shoulds and the conditions and the layers of bullshit that have been like piled onto you. So you can just embody and be everything that you already are. That is starting um, September 3rd. And so I'm really excited about that to be sharing that as a challenge to kind of, it's going to have some activities that you can do to get into that pleasure space for yourself and also do some kind of work around what are those stories and kind of just discovering what releasing and uncovering. So I'm just super excited about it. So that's the brave unbecoming and you can find that on Facebook. Yeah. And you've got, I put a link to your ebook, which is also about bravery. And I think it's so amazing because I think so much of that is like telling our story. I mean, talk about like indigenous, that's like something that we did before we wrote things down was like the oral tradition of storytelling. And so much of what we construct as normal through the media is toxic. And so to like recreate a narrative that's based on like honoring our humanity, like struggles and all, I feel like it's so empowering because it just gives permission for people to just be who they are. And I feel like that's the ticket to like a safe, inclusive, equitable society as we take care of everybody and we just let them do their things, right? <laughs> Absolutely. I think that everything that we're desiring to be in the world is already within us. It's just un us like digging through the mud and unearthing that really and kind of really allowing ourselves to embody it so it's already there if you're feeling it it's there it's just kind of shutting off that that's that doesn't need to be there anymore love that so much and I, I love your energy and thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and um I just feel very kindred with you so I'm excited to hear your story and you know to and so much of I think what's wrong with our society is shame based, and so yeah, I agree. Shame, which is kind of funny because shame is like really like we think something's wrong with us when it's not. And I just okay, so it's like you know it's like boop 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 like all the different layers of it. Um, but I think the more that we can come out of the closet with who we are, the real us, it's yeah. so liberating, and that's where we get like magnetic and we just yeah. like are in our purest highest energy. It's Absolutely. not about like having your shit all together. It's about, you know, just really authentically like being who you are. No, I feel like when you, you 
project this image of having all your shit together. You're kind of like the Stepford Wives. Everything's fine. Everything's okay. Everything's good. Life is great. But really, you're like, I'm fucking falling apart. And really, like, so really being able to be free enough to just be like, here is who I am. And either you love me or you don't. And that doesn't mean anything about me because I'm okay with me. I am good with me. And so that's really powerful. So powerful. Oh my gosh. What a great way to end. Well, thank you so much and we'll stay connected. All right. Bye Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Divine Feminine Revolution podcast. Make sure to subscribe and leave a five-star review. Want to keep the conversation flowing? Find us on Facebook at the Divine Feminine Revolution Facebook group, where revolutionary women gather to listen to their hearts, monetize their gifts, and change the world.